Please be seated as you do. Uh, break, break out your Bibles. We are back to our series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. In fact, uh, we will be continuing this series all summer uh, on the Gospel of Mark. Pete will be preaching on it, and then I will uh, pick up uh, where I left off, where Heath leaves off in July. So, Uh, We are continuing to study after a couple of weeks, uh, looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the uh, Passion Week leading up to Christ's resurrection. Uh, Now, um, I will not be reading the whole text. I'll be reading portions of it as I go through. And I let our, I should have let our, okay, very good. The person doing the screen behind me, um, thank you for that flexibility. Uh, But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives, and we pray that you would be gracious to us, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and give us soft, responsive hearts, that we might understand the gospel of your kingdom and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And my points for today's sermon are very simple. They just follow the text. And that is, first we look at the story, that is the, the parable story itself. And then secondly, we look at the context of the parable. The next section gives context to help us understand the meaning of the parable. And finally, we look at the meaning of the parable that Jesus describes here in our text. So first, let's look... Um, at the, at the context uh, prior to actually before we even get into the story, and that's verses 1 and 2. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them things in parables. Chapter 4 is, uh, it turns to a section in the Gospel of Mark on Jesus' parables. Several parables are found in chapter 4. And Jesus is once again uh, teaching in Capernaum. Uh, He gets in a boat uh, offshore. Uh, That is his pulpit uh, in the the, uh, habit of the day for teachers and preachers. He's seated in the boat, which is probably good anyway. I don't know how stable those boats were, but that, that was the habit of the day anyway. And uh, he sat and he uh, preached to the people. And so we have the the story of the parable here in verses 3 through 9. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So we're left with the question, what's the meaning of the sower, of the seed, of the different conditions in the same field where there was lack of germination or germination of the seed without a crop, and then the final examples of an abundant crop. 
So secondly, we look at the context of the parable that helps us understand its meaning. And this section is in between the story and Jesus' own explanation for the parable. And this, according to Jesus here, helps us understand not only this particular parable, but all parables. It stands at the head of all of the parables in the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark chapter 4, verse 9, and he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those who are outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? And so this discussion happens almost certainly not in the boat, right? You know, it's after the fact. He's alone with his disciples. I don't think he's sitting in the boat and he's preaching and he's teaching this, this parable. And then he stops and he huddles and he whispers, you know, the, the meaning of the parable. No, this is happening at a different setting at a different time when the disciples and those around him that are followers are asking him regarding the parable and the meaning of the parable. And in addition to this, we we don't know if all of these parables that are found in uh, chapter 4 of Mark were taught by Jesus at this one setting. He could have taught all of these. He could have taught more parables there. He could have taught some of these. This is a representative um, uh, group of the parables of Jesus that are given in this section on parables in Mark. And so this helps us understand the purpose of parables related to the kingdom of God. And so we learn from Jesus that the meaning of the parables has been given to those on the inside, not to those on the outside. Verse 4, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, But for those outside, everything is in parables. So who are the insiders and who are the outsiders? Well, to understand this, we need to go to the section immediately preceding this section. And it gives us a good bit of insight. Some of you will remember this from a few weeks ago. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And... His mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And as a crowd was sitting around him, they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my brother and my sister and my mother. He was saying quite literally, there are those who are outside and those who are inside, who are seated, listening to me right now, are doing the will of the Father, doing the will of God. What was that will of God? Jesus came proclaiming a gospel of the kingdom. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He said, I am body the gospel. I embody the good news. I have authority. I have authority, for instance, to forgive sins. 
who has authority on earth to forgive sins? Jesus said, I do. Jesus said he had authority over the demonic powers. He had authority uh, to heal. And so people responded to Jesus. In fact, that's what we're looking at in this series. Who is Jesus? How does Jesus present himself? And how do people in Jesus' day respond to Jesus? And how are we going to respond to Jesus today? And there were people in that day who responded favorably to every one of those things where Jesus said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. They responded favorably when Jesus said, I have the authority to forgive sins, and they took comfort in that. They responded favorably when Jesus said, I have the ability to cast out demons, and they saw it as the the kingdom of darkness being brought to an end. They put their faith in Jesus Christ as their king and their savior, but not all responded to Jesus that way. They didn't respond to his teaching. Not all believed that Jesus was the king who was bringing in the kingdom. Not all believed that he had authority to forgive sins. Some actually attributed his ability to cast out demons as satanic, not of God. And some were not swayed by his ability to do miracles. Some were insiders and some were outsiders on the basis of their response to Jesus. Now, some of these insiders were selected by Jesus, his apostles, but many of them were not. They simply heard the teaching of Jesus and they responded to Jesus' teaching. So, there were those that were intrigued, in fact, by Jesus. They came to hear him teach, and yet they did not put their faith in Jesus. They heard but did not believe. So the meaning of the parables is this. The secret of the kingdom was for those who heard Jesus as he presented himself and believed in him. And those who did not believe were left in the darkness. They heard only the parables, but not the meaning to the parables. Verse 11, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah to demonstrate his reason for the meaning of the parables not being revealed to outsiders. He says, uh, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, Isaiah is writing this a hundred hundreds of years before the time of Christ. And Isaiah, as a, uh, as a preacher, as a prophet, has this unenviable uh, calling from God to preach to the Israelites who are idolaters and are breaking God's law in a number of ways. And this is the culmination of centuries of the children of God, the people of God, the Israelites rebelling against God And so God comes to Isaiah, and Isaiah answers the call, and he says, how long do I have to preach? And he said, God says to him, until the cities lie in ruins. In other words, these people are not going to respond. They're not going to respond to your message. Now, there were some disciples of Isaiah, but for the most part, they did not respond. And then God says that they may indeed see, but not perceive, that they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. God has come to the end of his patience. The Bible says that God is patient, that he's patient, but his patience has come to an end after 
many centuries. And he says, they shall not see, they shall not hear. This is judgment on Israel, a lack of giving of hearing, a lack of giving of sight to the people. And so in similar ways, we find that Jesus has very clearly spoken of who he is. He has revealed himself to be the Messiah, the King, the one who has authority, the embodiment of the gospel, the one who is undoing the work of the devil, and people have rejected him. In fact, we see that the, that the, um, the purpose of the parables is not so much, it's not so much that Jesus is saying, I'm only going to speak in parables to those on the outside and give you, you're the only ones that are ever going to get uh, the inside meaning of the kingdom of God, because we find that he uh, has, in fact, done that prior to this, that he has spoken a parable to the scribes who said, you're doing the work of Satan. And he says, a strong man, you bind a strong man, you come into his house. You know, if it's a strong man's house, uh, somebody stronger has to come in and un- unbind him, uh, come in and, and bind him up and steal his goods. Um, and so he's making this parable specifically to the scribes in chapter 3. And he's giving the meaning and he's saying, I am not of the devil, right? Very clearly. And so the parables here in Jesus' statement is that this is emblematic. This is an example of how some will have insight, some will have hearing, some will receive sight. Those that have had an opportunity that have opposed him at this point, he is going to be withholding the meaning of the parables and the meaning of the kingdom. It is reserved for those who are on the inside, those who have soft and responsive hearts for Jesus Christ. God reveals, God gives people ears to hear, God gives people eyes to see, and he gives soft and responsive hearts. Verse 9, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Verse 12, but some have eyes but do not perceive and hear but do not understand. It is God who gives us the ability to see and hear. An example of that is Simon Peter's uh, affirmation of who Jesus Christ was and recorded in Matthew 6, 16 and 17. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You see, it's God who reveals the truth to us. It's God who gives us insight. It's not simply a matter of the words being proclaimed. The words being proclaimed are important. The word of Christ is important. But we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says something similar. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, in terms of this section in between the parable and the explanation of the parable, um, it is interesting, all the gymnastics uh, that I read, as I read the the sermons and the commentaries of pastors and scholars, uh, trying to figure out, Jesus didn't really mean that, he didn't really mean this. And there are some ways that you can nuance this statement of Jesus, a couple different ways. But I'll tell you this, Jesus isn't saying this. I speak to them in parables so that they may better understand, right? I mean, when I preach or Heath preaches, 
we will often give an illustration, and the point of the illustration is to help you understand a point in the Word of God. And Jesus is not, in fact, saying that that's what he's doing. I'm teaching them in parables so that everybody will understand. No, on occasion, he taught the parable and he closed his Bible, so to speak. Right? He proclaimed God's word at that time. So the question is whether you are or are not part of those who have sight, those who have hearing. And as it says in verse 12, will be forgiven. Do you have ears to hear the word of Christ? Well, let's find out. Let's look at the description, Jesus' explanation of the parable, beginning with Mark 4.13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful." But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Thirty and sixtyfold, thirtyfold and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So the sower in our parable is Jesus, and he sows the seed, the words of Jesus. The seed is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus says, I speak the word of myself as the king of this kingdom who would come and sacrifice himself. He'll go on to say that that he has come as a ransom for many. And he went to the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the soils represent people with various responses to Jesus. But ultimately there is a seed that will produce a crop, and there is seed that will not produce a crop, right? Ultimately, through all of it, you've got those two categories. What is the seed that is produced? What is, the, what is the fruit? What is the grain that is produced? In the immediate context, it's those that have responded to Jesus by repenting of their sins, by believing in Jesus and sitting at his feet with soft hearts, ready to receive, ready to hear his words, whatever he says. And you are part of that crop too, if you respond to Jesus in that way. Now, the way that this parable is often taught is that the crop is good works of the believer in Christ. And that is true, but that's not the basic point. The basic point is that the believer himself or herself, in his hearing, in his believing, in his response, that is the crop. The response is the crop. And the believer will produce good works because he listens to the word of Jesus. But the meaning of the parable is the one who listens to the word of Jesus, who repents, who believes and follows, is the one who makes up the good crop. And there will be a bumper crop is what Jesus is saying. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But understand this. 
Jesus is speaking in his context to those who came before who did not respond to him. And he's also speaking to those who did respond to him with faith. So how do the outsiders respond to Jesus? We see the first example, Satan takes away the word immediately, Mark 4.15. And there are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So in that day, basically you had to have a field and you'd have a path going either through it or to the side of it. And so maybe the, sown, uh, the, word, the, the seed was sown on the pathway, the hard-packed path, or maybe right on the fringe of the path. And in that day, oftentimes, they would actually sow the seed first, and then they would plow it. Uh, we, don't, we don't do grass seed here, but where I've lived before, sometimes that's what you do with grass seed. you got a bare spot, you put the seed down, then you kind of rake over it. Uh, that's evidently the way that used, they used to um, sow seed in uh, Palestine at that time. Um, And so whether or not um, that was going to happen in the future, what we see here is there's this hard-packed soil. The seed is easy pickings for the birds, and uh, the birds come and take take the seed immediately. And it says here it's a result of Satan who immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, we're not told what the mechanism uh, that Satan uses is. But we are told about the the outworking of that, and that is immediately after the word is heard, it is taken away. It it has no uh, positive benefit to the person who hears it. They hear it, but they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. They don't have soft and responsive hearts. You know, somebody might say, I don't need no stinking Savior. I'm not that bad. I don't need a Savior. Somebody might say, Jesus, I'm quite offended at what you have to say to me. I mean, you're saying you're it. You're the king. You're the one. You're the Savior. You know, I'm much more sophisticated than that. There are people all over the world that believe in all kinds of different Saviors, all kinds of different ways to God, all kinds of different religions immediately rejecting Jesus Christ, what he claims about himself. So the emphasis here is on the immediate rejection of Jesus and his words. Secondly, people respond immediately. Again, they respond immediately, but in this, in this case, they respond positively, but they have no root. Verses 16 and 17, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The seed in the field gets cast on rocky soil. There's an immediate response. And this time it's a positive response to the word of Jesus. They're excited about hearing what Jesus has to say. They're excited about uh, coming and, and receiving that. But then what happens? As they begin to see, well, Jesus is not so popular. There are a lot of people that don't like Jesus. And this might actually be kind of negative to me in my business if I follow Jesus, if I follow Jesus' words. This might not be so good uh, if I do that. Uh, In other ways, it could be difficult. And so it talks about trials and tribulations. And essentially, they're saying, I would rather live a comfortable life. Then follow Jesus 
and his words. There's no root. There's an immediate flame out. So the third example is not as dramatic as the first two examples. There's a, there's a dramatic rejection of Christ in the first example and a dramatic flame out uh, in the second example. And the third one is slow and less dramatic. And it is still a demonstration of a lack of response to the word of Christ. Mark 4.18 begins, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In this case, there's actually a priority placed on listening to the word of Jesus and maybe listening over time. But then, not so much after a while, cares the world, deceitfulness of riches. They just kind of choke out interest in Jesus. And that can be demonstrated in lots of people today. They say, you know, I went through my Jesus phase. I did that. Hmm, Not so much anymore. You know, what's more important? Listening to Jesus, reading the Bible, going to church, hearing a sermon, or paying my bills, trying to make it as an entrepreneur. You can't really fault me, can you? I mean, what's more important? Reading the Bible or making a living for my family? What started as an interest in Jesus and his words just dies a slow death over time. There's no ultimate life. There's no hearing, true hearing true response to Jesus. That true hearing will result in not only an immediate response, but there's a root to it, and it will not be choked out by the cares of life. So all these three demonstrate themselves to be on the outside in these various ways. So how do insiders respond to Jesus? Mark chapter 4, verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. They hear the word of Jesus and they accept it and they bear fruit. They are productive. And how much grain is produced? Well, a lot of grain. What might be considered a typical yield for that time? Well, the ESV study Bible, one source, typical of others, says this, that uh, a 5 to 15-fold return might be considered a good crop, uh, with a 10-fold return of seed being considered a good crop. So 30, 60, 100 times would be uh, many times the normal yield. There is, in fact, one example of this in the Bible, the, the patriarch Isaac Uh, centuries before, lived among the Philistines, and God blessed him. And it says, And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the Philistines that lived around him were jealous because they weren't getting that kind of uh, yield. And so this was a crazy good crop. This is a bumper crop. A commentator has said about insiders... Insiders are those for whom the fellowship and will of Jesus takes precedence over everything else. What's the crop look like? What's that bumper crop look like? It looks like those who desire fellowship and the will of Jesus over everything else. The seed of the word of God hits their hearts. 
and it produces growth and it's mature and there is faith and there is repentance. And yes, there will be works. The basic point here is not so much the works, but that the heart hears and the heart responds. It responds to Jesus in everything he says, in repentance, in faith, in trust in him as their savior, realizing that there's nothing that they could do to earn their way into God's good graces, that they are sinners saved by Jesus, their savior. And this produces followers, the word is, the word produces followers who listens to his words, listen to his words. They know they're sinners. They know they need a savior. And they believe his words about what is right and what is wrong. And they seek to turn from wrong to right. This is what this insider hearing of the words of Jesus Christ is like. And so you can ask yourself, am I hard-hearted? Am I on the outside? Well, let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and your Savior? Will you follow every word? Will you hang on every word? If so, cheer up. You're part of the good crop. Or you might say, hmm, not so much. You might say, well, my fate is sealed, I guess. I don't have ears to hear. I don't have a desire to believe in Jesus. Well, let me also encourage you in this way, that everybody starts as an outsider. Everybody starts with a hard heart, with unresponsive ears and eyes that do not see. And if you hear the word of Christ today that is proclaimed in the gospel of Mark, and your ears are open and your eyes see and your heart is soft to understand that you are a sinner that needs to be saved by your Savior and your King Jesus Christ, then you, in fact, have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. And you become an insider because you received the truth of the gospel, the truth of the kingdom of of God has come to roost in your heart and your life. And you understand and you see and you believe and you produce the fruit of repentance and faith and and a... and a desire to do what Jesus says. Well, if you have come to that point already and you believe in Jesus and you're on the inside, I want to give you a few takeaways from our passage today. And that is this. If you have the ability to hear, truly hear, such that you respond in repentance and faith in Jesus, then it's totally of the grace of God. And so thank him for it. The parable isn't about how wonderful you are and how wonderfully smart you are to figure out all of the truths of the the gospel, the kingdom of God. No, it is in fact that you need to be given sight and that you need to be given ears to hear. God makes your heart receptive to Jesus. And so you can never look at those on the outside and feel superior, right? Remember last week, my illustration that I did give the, um, both the story and the meaning behind it, and I'll just give you the point, and that is grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? We get what we don't deserve. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. But instead, we're given eyes to see and ears to hear. We're given forgiveness of sins. We're part of his kingdom. Wonderful. It's all of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Reminds me of a song that we sing sometimes. 
And it goes like this. I, was, I once was lost in the darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. You see, that's the heart, that's the outworking of the word of Christ in the person who's on the inside. We receive it all because of the grace of God. And this also means you can relax in terms of this relationship with Christ, this insider status, because it's ultimately about Jesus. It's about the word of Jesus and about being given ears to hear. It's not about you, ultimately. You're producing a crop. You listen. You hear. And it doesn't mean that you're going to perfectly obey Jesus, right? You hear his words. And so does that mean that you're going to perfectly obey Jesus? No, it means that you understand you're a sinner that needs to be saved by grace and you have a heart of repentance and you continually turn back to the word of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm following you and I want to follow you and I want to put this sin away and I want to start loving more and I want to start giving more to you, to your kingdom's sake. I want to do all these positive things that I'm not doing and stop doing these negative things. Think about Peter. Peter was far from perfect. Peter denied Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. But then the Apostle Paul got on to Peter back in, in, in Galatians, in the book of Galatians. And so Peter was not perfect. He denied Jesus. And yet he always followed him. He always turned back. He always repented. He always knew who his Savior was. He always had a soft and responsive heart. Contrast that with Judas. Judas was part of his inner circle, but he was never really on the inside. Judas betrayed Jesus. He gave up Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He did not have a a soft, responsive heart to Jesus. And what Jesus said of himself and who he was, he didn't believe. So hold on to Jesus because Jesus has a hold of you. It can be discouraging when we look around our country. We see the state of the church in our country decreasing. We see opposition to Jesus increasing. Um, But understand this, Jesus is in control. God is sovereign. He's overseeing this process of sowing his word and reaping souls for his kingdom. And the fact that some do not respond to Jesus' word should not discourage you. Jesus has given you insight into his kingdom here today through his word. There will be some who will not respond, but there will be a bumper crop of many millions who respond to the word of Jesus Christ. He will enable ears to hear, hearts to respond according to his will. Jesus will do it. There will be a bumper crop, and you're part of it. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for everything. We thank you for giving us not just physical eyes to see and physical ears to hear, but spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear the word of Jesus Christ to us, that he is, in fact, heralding the good news. And he did that 2,000 years ago. And we are the recipients of that word even today. And we thank you for a heart that repents and a heart that believes and trusts in Jesus and him alone. And Father, I pray that if there are any that are hearing this word today, that are in earshot of this, that you would give them ears to hear. And for those of us who have already received those ears to hear and eyes to see, I pray that you would encourage us as we understand the king and the kingdom and what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in that hope, the hope that we have through Jesus,